Welcome everyone to the Heat Assist Podcast, your source for weekly Miami Heat and NBA news. I'm David and I'll be your host today and I'm joined by my two friends, Steven and Carson. Hey guys. For today's episode, we'll be discussing the Miami's Heat performance against the Minnesota Timberwolves, Dallas Mavericks, and Brooklyn Nets. But first, let's go through Steven with some NBA news for the week. Thanks, David. So some news that are going on in the league right now is that the wavering deadline's coming up tonight, I believe, on March 1st. Therefore, any players that are waived by tonight will be eligible to be picked up by a team by tomorrow and be eligible for the playoffs. So one of the big names, or at least one of the big names for Heat fans might recognize is Deion Waiters. Mm-hmm. He was waived during that trade for uh, with Memphis. And one of the teams that might be picking him up are the Lakers. So we'll still, we might still be seeing Deion Waiters somewhere out there. Not sure how much he's going to get in playing time for the Lakers, but um, should be interesting. I think he fit well for him, and I think he would be a good fit. He does shoot a lot of threes, and he does make a lot of them, and he, he can't handle the He could be a second ball handler for them. The few games that he did play for the Heat was very – he didn't look very much in shape. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the Lakers need a playmaker when LeBron mm-hmm. is not – when LeBron is sitting on the bench getting some rest or if he's not playing – uh, their offense really stagnates a lot, and they have a lot of trouble creating any sort of offense, or at least any sort of efficient offense. Now, a lot of fans are banking on playoff Rondo to start showing up soon. We'll see how how how, how much of that really does happen. It still doesn't negate the fact that the Lakers really do need a, another playmaker in the team to get so someone that load off LeBron, especially since he's been playing a lot of minutes during the season. It might be prudent for the Lakers to start, I I don't know, giving him a little bit of rest uh, or at least not have him play as much, such heavy minutes, get him a little bit fresher in the, mm-hmm. in the playoffs. But we'll see what happens. I'm not really sure if they're really going to pick up the young waiters. Like, I agree with David. Given what he just went through with the Heat, it's not very appealing to other teams, I would think. Right. So going on with some more NBA news, um, this is more for the for Heat fans. Tyler Hero apparently is not recovering too well. He might be set back for a few more weeks for his comeback, and that's due to uh, an ankle injury that he sustained a few weeks back. Uh, Myers, Myers Leonard, on the other hand, we're not really sure as far as what his condition is. Uh, he should be expected to come back sometime soon, but like we all know, the Heat like to keep news about injuries or any sort of issues that might be going on backstage very confidential uh so we'll just have to wait and see when they come back but hopefully they'll come back fully ready for a good playoff playoff push and some more other news uh joel Embiid, big blow for the 76ers he just had sustained a shoulder injury during one of the games this past week and he's out for at least two weeks at which point he'll be reevaluated. So they're not even really sure whether or not he'll be back. They're going to just check him out and see if he's capable of playing at that point. Pretty much like Ben Simmons. Different injuries, but they're approaching his recovery the same way. They're giving them a two-weeks period to be reevaluated. And they'll go from that point on. Yeah, I think this is 
for Heat fans, it's been really fortunate in that the Philadelphia 76ers are performing just as poorly uh, this past few weeks. The Miami Heat are just begging the 76ers to take the fourth spot in the in the Eastern Conference standings. No, It just seems like nobody wants the fourth spot in the East. The Heat are lucky that the 76ers are facing struggles of their own. Big struggles. Yes. Best two players of the team. And I believe they're playing the Clippers tonight. Not sure if they could get that win. Just letting you guys know, for the next two weeks, four of those games are away, and two of them are at home. Oh, wow. Just saying. And out of those uh, away games, two of them are playoff-caliber teams because they're they're playing both uh, L.A. teams on the road, followed by the Kings and then the Warriors. So... It looks like they're going to lose 0-4, <laughs> to be honest with you, if, if they don't have either of those two. Like, it's it's not looking good for the for the 76ers. Yeah, so you, you mentioned the Clippers game, uh, Stephen. They lost 136 to 130 to the Clippers. And now that makes them one and a half game behind the Heat. And they also lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> so, yeah, they're facing a lot of issues right now. Man, that's that's tough for them, but good for us. So <laughs> we'll move right along with that. Uh, one last bit of news. Stephen Curry is expected to make his comeback tonight against the Wizards. Mm. I'm not sure if he's going to be on minute restrictions, but I'm not even sure why he's playing. Even if they were to get a bunch of wins with him coming back, which I highly doubt, given that the rest of the roster is not that good. Uh, it's They should be trying to go for number one draft option right now and just having Stephen Curry play out there and possibly getting hurt again, I think it's a bit risky. But I guess I understand his competitiveness. He wants to be relevant. And I guess if he gets a few wins, it'll keep his name out there in the you know in the open media. But to me, I really don't like what he what they're trying to do with Stephen Curry. He has nothing to prove. They should really just be focusing on trying to get healthy for next year and really make a good contender push. Uh, with Clay, Draymond, and Stephen Curry healthy, even with a lackluster roster or role players, bench, whatever, they're pretty. They're a pretty big threat, and I think they're taking a big risk by letting him play this year. Okay. I think they want to see what they have, or at least the chemistry that they have with Andrew Wiggins. You know, a big acquisition for them, for the Golden State Warriors. Um, just seeing that in the future, how that those two will play well together. I agree, there's a risk because it's really nothing to play for. The, the Warriors are going nowhere this year. I'm just curious to see how it, how the two will work, even when Draymond Green comes back as well. So it, it could just be like exp- exhibition games for next season and see how these three uh, players will perform. The good news is that they're playing the Wizards, so it'll be pretty much like a, a warm-up. A lot of shots. <laughs> and just a little quick uh, um, uh, reference uh, for people that don't remember. Stephen Curry broke his left hand, his non-shooting hand. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently it was a very gruesome rehabilitation just because you know when you break a bone in your hands, they're very small bones, and the healing process is very tedious and very intricate with that being said i guess it makes sense like he wants to really test it out and see how his rehabilitation has gone 
I still think it's risky. Uh, Yeah, I heard he has nerve damage in his hand, and it just doesn't feel right. He said his left hand doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel as as it did before the injury. So that's that's not. um, Yeah, doesn't sound good. That's not good. (laughs) So we'll see. We'll see how many games we play besides tonight. I'm guessing it's going to be under minutes restriction. That's pretty much it for NBA news. Do you guys have anything to add? No, it's just that I hope the young waiters. Well, I mean, if he does get picked up, I hope he performs well for the Lakers. I'm, I'm still bitter by the young waiters, but I still want. I don't want his career to end. He still has a lot left to give. <laughs> that's that's pretty well, impressive, David. That's <laughs> I can, You're overcoming the bitterness. That's that's impressive, sir. Well done. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to go ahead and move on and talk about the Heat games that they had this past half of the week. On Wednesday, they matched up against the Minnesota Timberwolves in Miami. And this is after a brutal, brutal few games that they had earlier in the week where they lost some games they should have won. Mm-hmm. The worst part of the, about those games wasn't just the loss, but just how they, how they lost. Um, in most of those games, they crumbled in the fourth quarter, and it was very alarming that no one really stepped up and took control of the game for the Heat. They seem rather lost. And unfortunately, in the Timberwolves game, something very similar happened. But before we get into the end of the game, um, I just wanted to point out that Carl Anthony Towns did not play for the Timberwolves. Uh, Their best player, he's been out for for quite a few games right now. It doesn't seem like they're in a hurry to bring him back. I'm actually not sure why he's not playing. Could be a quote-unquote injury, but... So right now they're being led by the new acquisition in D'Angelo Russell, who's been playing relatively well, and he seems rather in good spirits in the role that he's taken. Uh, and he played very well, by the way, against the Heat, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Also, I just want to point out Myers Leonard and Tyler Hero are still out with their ankle injuries, like we mentioned earlier before. They're not due. We don't even know when they're due back, but uh, they are obviously out for this game. So... Spolstra for still all trying... three games <laughs> for all three games yeah. and so with that being said it was interesting to see how Spolstra is trying to figure out a lineup that can be effective with all those two players and as we often say in the past few episodes how Myers Leonard is a big key that we feel is missing for the heat um, I think in this game he had, he it, it was another case of that so just some minor notes for the game itself. Kendrick Nunn continue his continue his good game offensively against the Minnesota Timberwolves. In particular, he had uh, 24 points, 9 of 19. And he shot 2 for 6 on the three-point line. That's 33%, which is pretty, you know, it's enough to get him uh, enough of a respect from the three-point line. Six assists, just one turnover. So that's a pretty good ratio. And he was responsible for guarding D'Angelo Russell, mm-hmm. who also happened to have a very good night. Uh, watching him play, he was scoring very easily. Uh, he was very comfortable and just... I was surprised he didn't try to get more points because it just seemed like he was very comfortable. But D'Angelo Russell, he shot 9 for 18, 50% from overall field goal percentage, 50% from the three-point line. Uh, 7 for 14, so he's taking a lot of three-point shots. Uh, Six assists, three turnovers, three steals, and one block. And he was pretty much their go-to guy. 
one guy that actually I noticed made a big impact for the Timberwolves, not only on the offensive end, but defensive end, was Malik Beasley. And he's a player he just acquired from the Denver Nuggets. And I believe that's uh, because the Nuggets, they, I guess they couldn't, they, they weren't willing to pay him. I think his contract was coming up, and I guess yeah. they moved on from him, which I think was a big mistake. Well, he um, they, they offered him a three-year, $30 million contract. He declined it. So yeah. they, they didn't think they were able to sign, re-sign him. So at least they got something out of him. Um, yeah, that, that makes sense. I I do think he's worth more than ten million. I think he will be mm-hmm. more worth than, more than ten million. I think He'll, he will be a very good, I guess. Um, what's the word? He's going to be able to support Car Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell in a very good way, just in the sense that he's very capable in the offensive end. He's very methodical. He can shoot. He can drive it in, and he's a little bit of a. A Swiss Army knife. He can do a little bit of everything, but he's very good on the defensive end. He was seven of fourteen from the field goal percentage. He shot three, uh, three of nine from the three point line, thirty three percentage, six total rebounds, five assists, two steals, and had twenty one points overall with a plus eleven, plus and minus. So he was the best starter for the entire Timberwolves. And one other guy that made a huge difference for the Timberwolves was uh, Juan Hernan Gomez, their center slash power forward, who shot the three-point line very well. Three of five from three-point and had overall 17 points, only five rebounds. But every time the... I mean, overall, the whole game was pretty close between the Heat and the Timberwolves, but there would be those stretches where Hernan Gomez was just making those shots that were kind of like, ooh, wish he didn't make them. And then you hope that he kind of reminded me like um, Kyle Olenek for the Heat and that, but he just played better than and then Olenek. Kelly Olenek, I should say. Excuse me. Mm. Well, overall, uh, one thing I wanted to point out that was very interesting to me, um, during the, pre, the pregame show for the, for the Heat, the announcer mentioned a very important stat that I thought made, uh, like, just, it, it blew my mind. Given the past couple of games, I felt that the Heat's perimeter defense was very subpar. But in fact, looking at the stats, it's quite the opposite. The Heat actually had the second best opponent three-point field goal percentage at 34%. So what that means is that whenever the opposing team is shooting a three-point line, they're likely going to be around a 34 percentage. But the problem is that even though they're shooting a relatively low percentage at the three-point line, the Heat are allowing a lot of three-point shots. They're 28th in allowing three-point attempts Mm -hmm. at 37.8 attempts. So doing the math, even though the opponent might be shooting a a low percentage, the fact that we're allowing them to shoot so many kind of offsets that lower field goal percentage from the three-point line. And just to highlight exactly how profound that was in this game in particular against the Timberwolves. So the Timberwolves shot 37% from the three-point line in this game against the Heat. But they shot 46 times. So that's 17 mm-hmm. makes or 51 points from the three-point line. Whereas the Heat shot 42% compared to the Timberwolves 37%. So a 5% increase for the Heat's three-point field goal percentage. But they only shot it 26 times. So that's 11 shots made from the three-point line for just 33 points. So then you compare the total points for the Timberwolves, 51 points to 33 points for the Heat. 
that's a 17 point difference and you see where that kind of gets the heat behind where teams are just they don't care that the heat are good defenders at the three-point line this is going to go ahead and chuck those three pointers and if they made a certain percentage it'll offset you know the the bad percentage and that goes into the whole analytics perspective and it's been going well for a lot of the teams um the he likes to play zone defense we're in their mismatch in the backcourt uh we all know that the heat they don't have very particular athletic or very good defensive players on the perimeter especially for smaller guards i think it's a team a theme that we're going to see during this three game stretch where the smaller quicker guards that the heat face usually have a good game against us they shoot well they create problems and we'll see if that becomes a theme but I just thought that was something very important to know. We might think that the Heat are, they're not defending. Well, technically they are. It's just they're doing a good job from the standpoint of the percentage. But the other team are just constantly shooting threes. It kind of offsets that low percentage. One last thing I wanted to point out is that the Heat are 20th in the opponent two-point field goal percentage. So they're allowing 49.5% uh, at the two-point line. And that's mm-hmm. obviously a big area. Uh, inside the three-point line, right? That's anywhere inside the three-point line, but it's important to note that because we do lack, as everyone knows, a big defensive presence in the paint. Bam is a great defender, but he's not really, given his athleticism and his build, I feel like he's better as a help defender. It would be great for us to have a very big, a big guy, tall, big guy to clog the paint. And even though Myers Leonard... Is not necessarily that big defensive presence in the in the in the middle of the paint. Um, it allows Bam to kind of be that help defense and be able to be a little bit more disruptive and use his athleticism a little bit more. Um, but now, since Myers Leonard is injured, he's playing more of a traditional center where he's down in the middle of the paint and just kind of waiting for people to go up at him. And he's doing a good job. It's just that it puts him in a position where he's more likely to get in foul trouble. And also, it kind of diminishes the use of his athleticism. And so, yeah. with that being said... Sorry, I just want to point out about what you said about not have, having that shot blocker, having that big man in the middle. And the, the Heat actually had a 12-point lead in the fourth quarter. There was a, this was a very close game, a lot of back and forth throughout the game. They actually built a lead. They, they entered the fourth quarter down one point, and they built up a 12-point lead with just under four minutes to go. But... It's just the Minnesota Timbers were able to get into the lane and just take advantage. In that fourth quarter, the Timbers only made 11 field goals. Eight of it was was in the paint. And then they also shot a lot of free throws as well. Uh, in that fourth quarter, in that deciding fourth quarter, they shot 11 free throws. So just get into the paint, drawing fouls and making layups. I, I feel like to emphasize what you said, Stephen, having that big man, having some kind of deterring sh- players from driving in and making these layups, it would have been really helpful in this fourth quarter where the heat just let just choked and let everything slipped away. Yeah, and that's another the last point I wanted to bring up, the fact <laughs> that they choked so hard. Yes. If you guys get the chance to see the game, for any reason, you should just look at the last four minutes in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you see the heats, their just mind completely changed, their demeanor completely changes in the fourth quarter in the offensive end. It seemed like no one wanted to take advantage of the opportunity to close the game or at least take over the game and, you know, be that hero. There was a point where two of the Heat's players were bringing the ball up together. They're just trying talking to each other, going up down, uh, going up the half court, and it just 
seemed confused, like, what are we going to do? And from that point on, you just saw that it was all ISO play. Someone would get the ball and try to drive it in, either Drogic or Bam or Jimmy Butler. It just seemed like no one, like, the Heat moved the ball really well. Like, really mm-hmm. well. They have high assist percentage uh, in the game, like most games. And But for whatever reason, during that clutch time where the pressure starts being felt, and you can see it in the players, like all the players on the court, they're all feeling the pressure. It The ball just stops moving, and it becomes a one-man game against the whole defensive team on the other side. And it's just something needs to be done. And it's good to see. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about as we talk about the other games of the week. But in that particular game, they they choked pretty hard. I would and guess. You see it. Jimmy Butler had three turnovers in the fourth quarter. All three of them were, was within that four-minute mark where the Heat were up 12 and just let that disappear. Three turnovers in, in about four minutes for Jimmy Butler. And like You could say these were very crucial very crucial moments that the Heat are seeing the lead disappearing. And Jimmy, like they're, they're having turnovers. They're letting the uh, Timberwolves drive in into the lane and either making layups or get, uh, fouling them. It was very discouraging. And just to point out, the Heat had 21 turnovers for the whole game. Mm-hmm. And the Timberwolves had 16 for the whole game. But if you look and, and look at those last turnovers in the fourth quarter, they all kind of piled up in a very short frame of time. I think that that completely made a difference. And that's what I feel led the Timberwolves to win the game. Obviously, everything compiled together made the Heat lose. But in the clutch time, getting those extra five turnovers, which a good amount of those came out to be in the clutch time, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of been a, it's been consistent in the last few games, especially against teams that the Heat should be dominating. Like the first, like, first of all, it shouldn't even be a close game, right? Playing against the Hawks, the Cleveland Cavaliers twice, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. These are all, they were 16-game winning teams, and then they became 17-game mm-hmm. winning teams just against the Heat. And All yeah, of these should... teams are the worst. These are the bottom. These are the worst teams in the league. <laughs> Besides the Warriors, they are the worst, like, yeah. period. And they're yes. losing to these guys. Yes. And, and they're losing in close games. And people are like, well... You know, it was close. They lost in, in, at the end, and they're going to figure out the clutch time. Whatever the issue is, it should not have been a close game, period. Like, And it's weird because in the Cleveland Cavaliers game, they were dominating in the in the game where they lost to the Cavaliers. They lost completely just crumbled in the fourth quarter. And same thing happened here. Although this game in particular against the Timberwolves, the game was very close back and forth throughout the whole game. They fell apart in the fourth quarter, especially towards the end of the last four minutes. Yeah. And... Highly recommend you guys watch it just to see how what's really going on, and when we talk about the clutch time and how the game just completely changes, like a completely different team we're watching. Yeah, they just choke in these big, like in the Cleveland collapse in the fourth quarter. Bam, my bio start turning over a lot. In this game, uh, Jimmy Butler starts turning over a lot. Nobody seemed to make a shot in these fourth quarters. Yeah, so discouraging. And they they were rolling before before these collapse. It's, it's like you said, it's just a sudden switch, and it's it's really like shocking to see what a complete shift it was from the Heat just scoring, and then all of a sudden they they're turning it over and they can't score again in these last clutch crucial moments. It's really really surprising to see that that complete change. Yeah, and and we'll see it gets better in the next few games, which we'll get to. 
Um, I just wanted to point out some good news for the Heat for that game, at least. The um, like we mentioned before, Kendrick Nunn is still continuing his good game streak. He's been playing pretty well during those games. Also, Bam played pretty well. He made 22 points, six of 13 field goal percentage, 10 blocks. Oh, I'm sorry, 10 rebounds, seven assists, and two blocks, but four turnovers. Uh, those turnovers tend to happen in very unopportune times, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But um, it's good to see that Kendrick Nunn is starting to get a lot of his confidence back. He took the most yeah. shot for the Heat, but uh, he's it seems like he's making some good plays. And not to mention that he was guarding D'Angelo Russell as well. One of the things I wanted to point out, and it's a theme as well for the other games, is that Kendrick Nunn tends to be the guy to want to I don't, I don't want to say one to, but he's the one that's assigned to defend the better backcourt players that the Heat tend to face off. And one of the things that he does struggle is the pick and roll defense. Usually when he gets picked, he gets picked really, really effectively. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the reason why um, the opposing team tends to have a lot of success running that play, even at the three-point line. But uh, to Kendrick Nunn's credit he does not give up on the play you know he's always trying to fight through the screen i think he's just a little bit too small at this point mm-hmm. in his career not strong enough to get through the screens or you know maybe he needs to learn how to beat the screen a little bit better uh but obviously the other little details i feel like those are things that are teachable and obviously as he gets older and bigger and more and stronger he'll be able to fight through those screens better but I like the fact that he's always up for the challenge and he's also performing pretty well on the offensive end. Agree. It's very encouraging. It's like right after the All-Star break, he's been he's been great. <laughs> yeah, and I think you mentioned it or Carson mentioned it that he, he might have just been burned out. He needed a little bit of time to rest. True. And, you know, and, and for everything we said about the Timberwolves and how bad the Heat were performing, they were only down one with eight seconds left. Spoke the signs of playing to give to Jimmy Butler. I think everybody knew Jimmy Butler was going to get the ball to score. And, you know, they obviously didn't need a three being down by one. They know, teams know Jimmy Butler can't shoot a three. So Jimmy Butler drove it in and got his shot blocked by multiple Timberwolves players. Three Not, players. Yes. I, I just feel like it was so obvious what the play was. You yeah. if if Jimmy Butler has the ball, you know he's you you let him take the three. He can't shoot the three, so you know he's gonna drive it in. And the Wolves were fully prepared for it. They're all waiting. Three players literally jump at like perfect timing. Three players, and then D'Angelo Russell is the one that actually got credited for the block. But even if he did, wasn't there, there was like two other players that per- perfectly timed Jimmy Butler's dunk attempt. It looked like a dunk he was going for. Before we close this game out, I just want to mm-hmm. mention that this was James Johnson's revenge game oh, and but yeah. he went five for 11 45 from the field goal percentage five total rebounds four assists one steal two blocks but he did fall out clearly he was very motivated to uh mm-hmm. play very hard in that game and he was pretty effective i thought yes oh my god i think james johnson would have really helped the heat during this uh during the losing streak his defense is very very important you see what you saw in this play. He was known for being really defensive, a defensive player and a playmaker. Just those skills, I think the Heat really miss, especially in these fourth quarter struggles. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, on that note, 
I believe that's it. That's all I wanted to bring up about the Timberwolves game. Do you guys have anything else to add? Uh, just discouraging about that final play. I know Jimmy Butler is known to be a clutch player. He's made numerous clutch plays for the Heat, but if he doesn't have that three-point shot, I think teams know that all he can do is just drive it in. And I think the Timberwolves show that we'll give you that three. You could take three, but you could drive in. We know you could drive in, and we're ready for it. And I feel like how is that going to work against more competent teams? So I'm really worried about the clutch. Like, if the Heat need a clutch play, how is that going to work out? Because, you know, Jimmy Butler does not have a three-point shot, and his bread and butter is just to drive in, get to the rim, and draw a foul. And trying to draw a foul is, is a lot harder to do in the playoffs. I just want to say this. Uh-huh. To, the, to answer to your question, two words. Tyler Hero. <laughs> All right, I hope so. For all for all the doubters about him, he's made some really clutch shots before his injury. Look back to the Philadelphia game. He made the he made the go ahead three pointer. Yeah, having him out there would definitely help. Like he honestly, I feel like they they the reason one of the reasons why the Heat are had that losing spree is just Tyler Hero and Myers Leonard. Pretty much the reason why they they need that they need the, both of them for the production. Yeah, I feel like both of them will help in outscoring the opponent, but I feel like both of them would not, maybe Myers Leonard will kind of help with the rebounding. But the Heat main problems, I feel like it's it's a lot of defensive issues. But that for sure, having Myers Leonard and Tyler here will definitely help, um, especially in the fourth quarter when you know he are struggling to score. So yeah, yeah, the injuries definitely hurt a lot. I mean, you can take look at it this way, regardless of the fact if how they're playing now and if defensive struggles even if both of those uh, two guys were playing at least on the offense they can make up for that description right you will hope they so. could they, they would they could I, I mean i believe they could make up for that discrepancy either way they're going to be bad defensively well uh, against wing players but at least if they had Myers leonard and tyler hero they can make up that offense that their sco- the the offense that they produce would help them at least uh that disc- within uh that discrepancy Mm-hmm. It'll offset it off a little bit. I do like the fact that Tyler Hero has that persona- personality where he embraces the moment, the clutch moment. Mm-hmm. He, he, he definitely has that personality. That kid doesn't give an F about anything. I, oh, yeah, I love I love that about him. He's going to take the shot. He doesn't care. He yeah. wants it. And he can shoot the three. He could drive it in. He, like It'll be great for the Heat for those moment, moments to have Tyler Hero back. I do agree with that. For a non-lottery pick, he he was good. He was a really good pickup for them. Very good pickup. Anyways, but but yeah, that's all I wanted to say. You can move on to the next game now. Okay, so we're gonna move on to the next game, which is against the Dallas Mavericks. That was played in Miami as well. It's part of the long homestand for the Heat. And going to this game, they're obviously looking for a very very needed win since they've been losing to very bad teams. And, mm-hmm. But then they're looking to win against a very tough Dallas Mavericks, which had both Prozingis and Luka Doncic playing. In fact, it was actually Luka Doncic's 21st birthday. <laughs> and uh, we, we'll get a little bit into how that might have played a role. I have, that's something I just <laughs> want to comment about. And uh, for, for uh, just for some clarification on this, this was a home game for the Miami Heat, and it was on Friday. And 21st birthday. And 21st birthday for Luka Doncic. So, uh, yeah, go ahead, Steven. Sorry. Just wanted to 
<laughs> make sure that's uh said first. So like we mentioned a little bit earlier is that, you know, that he had been needing a win given that they've been playing really bad teams and the Mavericks, they're a good team, good playoff team in the West. Mm-hmm. And they're being led by a very good young player in Luka Doncic. If you guys haven't had a chance to see him play, definitely a star in the making, superstar in the making. And if he's not a superstar already, he's clearly going to be a MVP candidate for many years to come. And this is only his second year in the NBA at the age of 21, just turned 21. So very excited to see him develop as a player. Um, he's also one of those players that just does everything, score, play, make. He could shoot the three-point ball, uh, although not effectively all the time. But he's very clutch in the big moments when they need someone to just score at the end of the game. He just makes some crazy shots, man. You got to watch him. Mm-hmm. Given all that, though, this was definitely not his best game. <laughs> he definitely struggled against the Heat. He did have 23 points, but that was from for uh, he shot 7 out of 17, 41%, mi- missed all his three point shots, so 0 for 6 from a three point line. He had 10 assists, but six turnovers. And I think we have to give credit to not only the home court advantage, like Carson mentioned, but also because he did a wonderful job defending him. We just had like tons of players that could just pick him up on switches. Uh, if we had to sit our primary defender, which was Derek Jones Jr., who played wonderful. He was a starter in this game for the Heat. And his assignment was just pretty much stay on Luka Doncic. And he did a wonderful job. Uh, didn't give him the lane. Very few times he gave him the lane and just gave him a very tough shot. Tough shot. Contested his three-point shots. And whenever he got switched, there would be Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, uh, Iguodala, just to you know get switched off. Bam. And so Luka just had a very many different looks. Um to contend against and I think that threw him off a lot not to mention that the Heat also uh, played zone as well he, they would switch off between uh, man-to-man defense and zone and I think that really threw him off the one thing I do want to point out that goes with the theme that we that I kind of alluded to about the smaller backcourts for the opposing team being a problem for the Heat so Seth Curry went 13 out of 15 field goal. Uh, so that's 87 percentage from the field goal f- field goal line. He shot eight out of nine from the three point line. That's 89 percent from the three point line. Mm-hmm. So he had his career night against the Heat, and he scored 37 points. And he literally was making any, every single shot he took. It was just it was just ridiculous. They were going in easy too. And the problem was that it's not that he was making like crazy shots, but he he would really get some good shots that you could tell like he was always in rhythm for his shots. And so I think it's part of the uh, the ongoing theme where we're just lacking in being able to contest against the prolific small court uh, shooters or scorers. Um, yeah. I also want to point out that uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. started out on fire against the Heat, especially in the first first half. Um, I think he was really pumped to be back in Miami, you know, home of the great Tim Hardaway, Tim Hardaway jersey hanging up in the rafters. And Tim Hardaway is in attendance for this game as well. And uh, Tim Hardaway is one of my favorite players during those oh, yeah, glory definitely. days. Yeah, one of the and, best. Yes. So, I mean, 
Tim Hardaway Jr. He, I think he scored the first eight points in this game for the Mavericks. I mean, he looked like he has something to prove. You know, he wants. You know, he knows his dad is watching. You know, he's been here when he was a kid watching his dad play. I think he had a lot to prove. And it showed in the first half, just not afterwards. But yeah, I think that was that was just. I don't know. I really like that because you know I really love. I like Tim Hardaway. One of my favorite players going up and just seeing his son play and shooting it up just like his dad from the three. Just just uh, memorable. Good memories. Yes. Yeah, he did play pretty well. He went 5 for 11, 45%, uh, 3 for 7 from the three-point line. He has 15 points, three rebounds, three assists, one turnover. Uh, but he... He wasn't a a big part of the office, but pretty effective for what he was given. Um, with that being said, the other big player in the Mavericks, as we all know, is Christoph Porzingis. Mm-hmm. He went nine for nine out of twenty-one uh, field goal percentage, uh, which is forty-three percent. He scored six out of fourteen from the three-point line at forty-three percent. Thirteen rebounds, two assists, and one block. So that's twenty-four points. So the starting lineup of the Mavericks score pretty much most of their points. Porzingis 24, Doncic 23, Hardaway 15, and then Seth Curry 37 points. Everyone else <laughs> in the Dallas Mavericks was you know single digits. Um, the highest bench production came from Maxi Kleber with eight points, but only at a 38% field goal percentage. So it seemed like the Dallas Mavericks were really hurting for production from their bench. And that's partially due, or largely due, to the fact that they have a lot of injured players like Jalen Brunson, Willie Cauley-Stein, Dwight Powell, uh, Antonio's Cleveland, and Josh Reeves. Um, you know, the Mavericks, yeah. they don't really have well, big-name players in the bench. but um, And they're really, these players are not really high-scoring players, but... You can tell that having that many players affects their rotation and would affect how they play, especially in the second unit. Yeah, I, just to emphasize your point, Stephen, the Mavs, it was, they were actually up after the third quarter, but in the fourth quarter, they collapsed against the Heat. In the fourth quarter, they only, they, uh, the Heat outscored them 13 points, 38 to 25. And in that fourth quarter, the only players who score a point, just want at least one point for the Mavericks, were Seth Curry, Luka Dantich, and Christoph Porzingis. Those were the mm-hmm. only three players who scored for them. Yep. And to add to that, from the other side, was the fact that the Heat had a wonderful fourth quarter <laughs> from their second unit. And this was the lineup that they had to lead the charge. And it was it was amazing to see this. It was Duncan Robinson... Goran Dragic, Jay Crowder, Kelly Olynyk, and Andre Iguodala. Mm-hmm. So three white players. So and <laughs> if you guys want to see an epic performance by Kelly Olynyk, you mm-hmm. gotta see this game. Oh so yeah. These, these are his stats for the whole game, by the way. But what really made them shine was that fourth quarter. Like they completely took over the game. But Kelly Olynyk had 13 points, five for eight for, for the field goal. Uh, field goal. Uh, three out of four from the three-point line. And in fact, he's been shooting really well in the past few games from the three-point line. He had seven total rebounds, nine assists, one mm-hmm. turnover. Okay, And he was at a plus 20, second h- highest plus and minus for the team. Although, you know, it's not really 
meaningful from a one game basis, but just to point out, like he had a one of his best games in a while. Just and, to uh, uh, I, I just want to add on this uh, fact for you, Stephen, because uh, you said you mentioned that he had nine assists. Six of those were in the fourth quarter, <laughs> and those some of those were some nice assists, man. He was like threading the needle in some of those plays on some cutters, like man. And then David pointed out to us earlier before we started this podcast that he used to play point guard back mm-hmm. when he when he was younger, man. It nice really too. showed. Yep. He made some nice plays, and it was really good to see that he had a wonderful game. And you know, the second unit really came up huge for the the Heat in that fourth quarter. They really dominated. They were clicking well, and they, you know, they were pretty much making most of their shots. I mean, for the whole game, they shot fifty-two percent, forty-nine percent from three-point line. So, I mean, that's a big reason why the Heat won. They just they were just shooting so well. Yeah, I feel like they they attacked. Like they drove it in, especially at the beginning. Again, they drove it in a lot, attacking Christoph Porzingis. Was really not known. Um, for his post defense, I mean, he he'll get a block every once in a while, but I feel like, especially Jimmy Butler, I feel like he drove it in a lot, um, just testing uh, Christoph Porzingis' defense, post defense in the paint. So um, I thought that was very encouraging and just a great way for Jimmy Butler to start uh, getting into the game, getting into uh, his groove. And to highlight what David just said. He was the leading scorer for the Heat with 26 points. He made eight shots out of 14, 57%. Uh, shot at the free throw line 12 times, made 10 of them. That's an 83 percentage clip. Five rebounds, three assists, and unfortunately three turnovers. Uh, but as always, he plays very good defense, and you can see that he was, like David said, he was in a in a very good groove, very comfortable rhythm, and making a lot of his shots and his drives and being very successful and going at the basket and getting those fouls, man, he gets at the foul line so easily. It's uh, it's something that the Heat really needs. Mm-hmm. Um, to add on to some more of the stats, uh, Bam, uh, one of his uh, quieter nights was still very effective. 14 points, 3 out of 10. Uh, he shot 10 times from the free throw line and made 8 of them. At 80%, that's a huge plus for the Heat. He, I think he's around in the high 60s at this point in the free, th- free throw percentage. So the fact that he shot well from the free throw line was good. He had 11 total rebounds, three assists, and only one turnover. And he, with Bam having a lot more of the offensive load, you know, he's been averaging a little bit more of a on the turnover ratio. So him being at only one turnover overall was really good. And for the team overall, for the Heat, they only had nine turnovers in the whole game, mm-hmm. which is another huge point for for the Heat because uh, lately they've been they haven't been taking good care of the ball, especially in the fourth quarter, as we all know. Mm-hmm. I do want to point out as well that even though the Heat won a very good game against the Mavericks, there was still very clear hesitation in the fourth quarter towards the end of the game. When the Heat were in the final moments uh, trying to close out the game, they weren't trying to close out the game by taking control of it. They kind of were just hoping, trying to run out the clock. But you could still see that they were, you know, when the clutch time came into effect, they were very hesitant on the offensive end. 
and I thought that was a little concerning. But at least they didn't turn the ball over. Uh, they didn't lose the game, and he got a very good game, a very good win. Yes. Yeah, just want to point out some keys to the game. Like In that fourth quarter, the majority of their bench were playing. Um, you saw Goran Dragic. Uh, I mean, Goran Dragic, Duncan Robinson, uh, they play heavy minutes. Uh, and Jay Crowder, too. I mean, overall for the game, they just shot it really well from three. 17 out of 35 for 49%. Um, you know, low turnovers. It was just, yeah, good to see them just excelling at their strength and just memorizing the turnover. Okay. Do you guys have anything else to add to this game? Well, I just want to add one thing. I was not really about the game, but uh, like as you mentioned, Luka Doncic it, uh, turned 21. Mm-hmm. And because it was a Friday night in Miami, <laughs> he also celebrated his uh, 21st birthday in Miami when he went out. Uh, when, I, when I saw that game and I saw Luka Doncic score, I'm like, I was a little... Uh, Let's just say I, I I thought about it like why would he is he is he playing bad just because he's thinking like it's his twenty first birthday I'm just gonna go I'm just gonna go out and have fun tonight I really don't care about this game that mm-hmm. came up to my mind a little bit but I'm like I don't, I don't think he would do that right no I don't <laughs> I don't think he would do that anyways but yeah he celebrated his loss uh Friday night by uh, celebrating his twenty first birthday when he went out. And it seemed like he had a good time from all the uh, posts that he was uh, posting on his, uh, per- on his, um, I guess, his personal account. Anyways, that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, well, I just want to say, you know, um, usually when the Dallas Mavericks come in town, there's usually a, a lot of uh, Solivian fans that come because of Goran Dragic and Luka Dantich being from the same country. Uh so, I I don't know if Goran Dragic was also partying with uh, Dantich afterwards, but it's just yeah, it's, it's it's usually a fun experience when the, the Dallas Mavericks come to the Miami Heat and you just have these foreign fans coming over and just you know celebrating celebrating these two great uh, players from Sol- Slovenia, Slovenia. Yes. Yeah, that's all I want to add. I think it's really cool. They have such a... I'm pretty sure it's not a big community, but they're very... They're very, very passionate about their two players. Whenever Mm -hmm. they get together, they always kind of make a big event out of it. And you can tell that Drogic really, really appreciates that. Like He really adores his Slovenian fans and his countrymates. Mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. But um, on that note, we're going to move on to the last game of the Heat. Last game of the week that the Heat had, which was against the Brooklyn Nets. And this was a back-to-back game uh, that that occurred on Saturday, right after the Mavericks game, which occurred on Friday. And I believe this is the first back-to-back wins that the Heat had in the whole season. I believe um, they've been losing. They've been matched up with some really tough opponents in the second game of, the, of back-to-backs. Uh, not this time around, though. 
I don't believe the Nets are that good of an opponent, and they capitalize on the fact that they're not that good by winning. They beat mm-hmm. the Nets, and I'm going to let David take it over with the details to tell us what really happened in that game. Yes, I feel like the Nets in this game, even though it was still a very close game, and I feel like the Heat let the Nets center uh, predominantly Jared Allen and um, DeAndre Jordan just were able to go off in this game. To to uh, Just to emphasize my point, the Nets actually shot it pretty well um, for this game. 40 out of 86, but... They they took twenty six points in the under the rim within the rim, and eight, they made eighteen of them. You know, most of them were from Jerry Allen dunking the ball and just shooting it. Also within in the paint within the free throw line, six out of twelve. So just yeah, not a lot of interior defense for the Heat. Really attacking the interior defense of the Heat, and it, it shows. Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan just had great games. They they usually tend to have great games against the Heat. Um, just I think they they are good centers and they're hard for the Heat to to defend. Um, but I just want to point out that even though the Heat won this game, uh, you know they kind of struggled a little bit in the fourth quarter. They were outscored by the Nets, uh, thirty three to twenty five, and. Down to the crucial moments, just like in the last game the Heat won by the Nets, Spencer Dinwiddie did not. It was down to Spencer Dinwiddie to to try to win the game for the Nets, and he choked again. But in the previous game against the Heat, it was also a close game. Down to the last minute, Spencer Dinwiddie missed the layup. In this game, he just turned the ball. He threw the ball out of bounds in the last second. Um, the Heat were really fortunate. And not only that, but... Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic, they were shooting free throws in that last for the last two plays for the Heat, and they both missed one out of the two free throws to to just keep the game really close, like just not very clutch moments for the Heat. In the, so even though that they won, it was still very tro- there's still a lot of troubling um, signs from the Heat in that they just they just could not close it, and it took like a really Bad play by Spencer Dinwiddie to throw the ball out of bounds to really seal the game for the Heat. So I would not say they they dominated or they really put the shot shut the Nets down. I would say they were very lucky in this game, and the Nets were just not a good game. Spencer Dinwiddie, though, I really like him. I don't think he's a clutch player, and this is where I think Kyrie Irving would have been uh, would have been would shine for the Brooklyn Nets in these clutch moments. So I think the Heat got really lucky in this game. It was very disappointing to see that they couldn't close it out and had to rely on these really fortunate plays for by the Brooklyn Nets, which are clearly not a very good team. They're they're on a losing streak and no longer the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference, I believe. They're they're the Orlando Magic has overtaken them because of their recent slide. Um but yeah, just um just I saw uh, just DeAndre Jordan and well, but mostly Jared Allen. They tend to have really good games against the Heat. And just to emphasize some point, Jared Allen was seven out of eight in this game, three out of four for free throws, eleven rebounds, uh, and seventeen points. Yeah, but Joe Harris and Spencer Dinry were the main scores for them. But yeah, I uh, it was 
man, I, I just very disappointing that the Heat kind of struggled again in the fourth quarter, and they really were very lucky to win. Came out, come out of this game. Seems like it's a theme. They're really having hard times closing out games. And yeah, it's a concern. It's a big concern. It's especially concerning since, you know, earlier in the season, they were known as the team that hadn't lost in overtime. And now mm-hmm. it seems quite opposite where they can't win in a fourth quarter where mm-hmm. it really matters. It doesn't matter how you start, so about how you finish. And it's just, I don't know, as a Heat fan, you know, I, I know expectations are not for them to win a championship, but it's still... It's hard to see a good game turn bad, where right. especially against some really bad teams. Um, so that's very unfortunate. Yeah, it's very rare during the season to see a blowout. Like the Heat don't really blow a lot of teams out. They just tend to win <laughs> with with tend to sneak by with these wins. Um, you know, some key performers for the Heat was oops, Kendrick Nunn, who continued his really great performance, shooting now nine out of fourteen from the field goal, three out of seven from the three point line, and just no turnover, very great, um, and twenty one points. You know, Jimmy Butler he struggled in this game, only five out of fourteen, including six six for nine from the free throw line. But once again. Is usually not his shooting that helps the Heat. Is his defense and just him creating easy plays for his um, teammates because he has eight assists in this game. Uh, Bam Bam Adebayo rebounded from his poor game against the Dallas Mavericks and uh, had 16 points, a double double with 12 rebounds, seven out of 12 from the field goal, uh, three blocks. That's encouraging. Only three assists, but most importantly, only one turnover. So. You know, he's been turning over the ball a lot as well, so it's good to see that he was able to keep that down for this game. Um, to go along with your turnover theme for Bam, the whole mm-hmm. Heat team only had six turnovers mm-hmm. for the whole That's game. That's fantastic. That's yep. so impressive. So they're definitely fixing some things little by little as the games go along. Um, hopefully they'll get the fourth quarter thing fixed as well. Yeah, you know, hate. Yeah, I just don't think the Heat are very clutch in the fourth quarter. I, I haven't seen much from them, and like it to me, it kind of showed in these losses, these losses to the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Minnesota Timberwolves, where the Heat just blew these big double-digit leads in the fourth quarter, and then especially against the Timberwolves game, you know, Jimmy Butler drove it in. It was it seemed like the Timberwolves knew what the Heat were doing. They knew what the Heat what the heat we could do for the last shot and just yeah. completely neutralize it. So, but you know, obviously Carson mentioned, you know, having Tyler hero back to have multiple three point threats in the closing minute definitely would help, but it's just discouraging right now. And it's definitely why the heat are struggling these past. I would say this entire year they've been struggling so far this, since the new year. Yep. Yeah. Sounds, sounds right. <laughs> uh, but at least the Heat got the win, the first back-to-back wins. For sure. And That's hopefully true. they'll be able to carry their momentum forward. Although that momentum is going to be very hard to keep up as they will face the Bucks tomorrow in Miami. Mm. So they'll have a big old wall to try to break through in the name of Giannis Antetokounmpo. How do you guys see that game going? Not They're going to lose. 
Yeah, I don't like the chances. They still Man, you guys so, sound so enthusiastic. I, I, I don't, like... I don't know what the besides the Mavericks game. I, I don't like what has what I've seen this year so far in their this the defensive mishap. They're they're not clutch in the fourth quarter. Not clutch in the closing few possessions. Jimmy Butler is not shooting well. I'm really worried. If Tyler Hero and Myers are still injured, I'm really worried about this team in the closing minutes. Well, luckily the Heat have one of the weakest schedule for the rest of the season, and <laughs> you know the Bucks are one of those games where it definitely doesn't apply to that weak schedule. But you know, I I think we all expect the Heat to lose against the Bucks. But hopefully it will be a good opportunity to gauge themselves against, you know, better quality opponents. Maybe right now they've been kind of struggling. Maybe they've not been motivated to play against these bad teams. Uh, we'll see how they match up against, uh, you know, the top team in the NBA against the top MVP contender. Well, I will say this one point since Meyer Le- Myers Lander is out. Previously, he was the one who you, who would guard uh, Giannis. And so, you know, with him injured, maybe we'll see Bam guarding him the whole game and see how that will. That's not good. We'll yeah, see. Good. We'll see. That'll be tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it will be tough, but I think I think it's necessary, especially if they face each other in their playoffs, to have Bam guard on Giannis the most. Because even though, you know, when, whenever Myers Leonard did guard him, it wasn't doing much. It was just so Bam out of body wouldn't get those fouls. <laughs> Like Myers Leonard could yeah, not contain. Exactly. That's, exactly. That's the, even more. But you're trading. You're trading fouls for points because it was almost a guaranteed point. I mean, I, so that I mean that's what we'll see in this game. If if Bam guards Giannis the whole game, if he does, I, I'm excited to see that. I hope he does just to see how it how well it goes. The the thing I I would like to uh, point out is they might start a uh, Kelly Olynyk on him. Oh, that's good. I can see I, that. I, 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 and Kevin Winnick moves a little bit. He's a bit uh, quicker than Myers Leonard. Not, not by much, though, but still. Yeah. I mean, I, if, if I was the Heat, I mean, and I was Kevin Winnick and I was Eric Spolster, I would just tell uh, Kevin Winnick, just, just don't let him drive it in. Try not to let him drive it in as much as possible. Let him, if he's going to take a jump shot, let him take a jump shot. You, you're just going to have to play the percentages. That time, well, and just hope that he's not making any of his jump shots. Well, or the one least, thing about uh, the one thing about Giannis is he's he's actually a terrible free throw shooter this year. So there could be some hack of Giannis or just fouling him, and hopefully that plays out. Yeah, I think that's where having some extra big bodies just to follow him and put him at the free throw line really mm-hmm. helps. But we don't want to have to do that with Bam because we yeah. we need him to be on the floor. I do think having Kelly Olynyk, I mean, it's great. And I'll leave it at that. No, we'll see how it goes. I, I feel I, I feel like it's better if uh, Kelly Olynyk, like if they they should start Kelly Olynyk. Oh, no, we don't they have an have option. <laughs> we yeah. don't have an option. He's the only center. Bam, I mean, I'm yeah. pretty sure Chris Silva's gonna play as well. Like we're just gonna have to throw bodies at him, big bodies. The only body that they probably won't send is Udonis Haslam. <laughs> it might it might be a little bit too much. But uh, it's we'll see. I, I I'm I'm interested to see this game just because it'll be a very 
very high quality opponent. We'll see how yes. the Heat match up against. A real test for the Heat. I mean, they they tend to bring it during for you know real good teams. competitive teams. Mm-hmm. They tend to just choke against these really weak teams against the, these the worst teams in the NBA. Second worst teams in the NBA. Like I don't know how, what happens during there, but during during these real you know playoff contenders, the Heat tend to bring it. So I think yeah, I think it will be a good, very good game. Just to highlight how good the Bucks are, and I'm sure everyone knows this, but um, they are the number one offensive team and defensive team in the NBA. So they're they're very. I think they also have the highest pace. So they're very fast. They play great defense. They have the M- top MVP. And they uh, picked up a great player during the during the waiver wire. They picked up Marvin Williams. I think he fits per- he fits perfectly with mm-hmm. the with the Milwaukee Bucks. So yeah, I think they got even better after the <laughs> the trade deadline. Even though they made no trades. <laughs> yeah. So so we'll see how that goes. Uh- I just want to. I just want to say this though. If the Heat really want more of a chance to like uh, sign Giannis Antetokounmpo, they need. I feel like they should win tomorrow. I don't think it's a matter of uh, once. It's, uh, it's a matter of can. Yeah. <laughs> do they have the ability to win? <laughs> I mean, I feel like they can't. I feel like they. I mean, anything can happen. That's true. They could have like a bad shooting day. Yeah, this um, this whole past week I mean, is a if, very good indication the, of that. Yeah. What if all the other players on the uh, on the Bucks play? They don't play well. Or maybe what if the game's close, but the Heat make it out at the end and the Bucks don't? I mean, just like uh, the Mavs game. It, it. I mean, sorry, not the Mavs game, but the Brooklyn game, the Nets game. I mean, it came out pretty much the last possession. I gotta say, and Carson. That's up. That's up. I, I gotta say, Carson, you are the most optimistic Miami Heat fan I've ever known. Uh, I, I just, that's just ridiculous. I Come just on. want, I just want Miami to sign Giannis, man. That's all I want them to do. <laughs> I just want Giannis, I just want Giannis to go for the Heat. Just, just come. Yes, we all want and that. I'll stop but... being optimistic, and I'll stop being optimistic about it. <laughs> okay, man, uh, I'll keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> That's all I want. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, that's all I want to add. Okay. On that note, you guys have anything to add? Any closing thoughts or notes? Anything you guys uh, recommend for the fans to watch? Yeah, so just if, Yeah. Well, if the Heat, if nobody's seen the Dwayne Wade documentary, I mean, I don't know how you could watch it without pirating it, but. If those who haven't seen it, I, I think it's, it's a very touching documentary. It's just something all Heat fans should watch. I think you can watch it on ESPN Plus. So you uh, do okay. need to pay for a subscription. But uh, it's available on ESPN Plus. Um, I do want to remind NBA fans to hopefully tune in to watch the Golden State Warriors play for Stephen Curry's return. I think that's pretty I, I think that's pretty big, even though I don't agree with the Oh, actually looking at the news right now, he's not returning this Sunday or tonight. <laughs> so scratch that. So I just looked at the news feed. Stephen Curry won't be playing tonight. Uh, but 
tomorrow. Like we just mentioned, the Heat are playing the Milwaukee Bucks, the number one team in the NBA. The number one offense, oh, actually right now the third best offense, mm-hmm. uh, number one defense, but the fastest team in the in the league. They have the fastest pace. Uh, we'll see how the Heat can handle that. It's a team with a lot of strong veterans who played to their roles very well, led by Giannis Antetokounmpo and the and the Lopez twins. They're, they're a pretty big lineup. So we'll see how the uh, the Heat will be able to handle that. I think on that note, we're going to close up the, tonight's episode. On behalf of the Heat Assist crew, uh, thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you next time.